Today we're going to be talking about breaking out of concern and fear of other people's opinions. Now, that may not seem like a very heavily biblical or deeply spiritual topic at first blush, but let me tell you, the Bible is rife. It is chock full of examples where people's opinions and other people's fear of those opinions actually engineered their life and steered it around. I'm going to show you from the Word today a couple of examples that are just amazing about how our concern for other people's opinions and the changeable nature of people's opinions affects our lives. Did you know that the number one fear of the average person in America, you would think it would be death. It's not. Death is number two in the list of top ten things you most fear. You know what number one is? What I'm doing right now, public speaking. That is the number one fear of people in America. Come back, voice. Don't leave me. Isn't it funny when somebody starts coughing, you start coughing? Notice that? It's so much fun. I was in the airport yesterday, and I started to do this. I, I, I resisted the urge. You ever notice if one person in the room yawns, everybody starts yawning? It's just so funny, especially in the gym. People yawn a lot in the gym because their brain's depleted of oxygen. You, you go in a gym and yawn after a while, everybody's over there. It's so funny. We're influenced by each other. We don't even realize how profoundly we are. So I want to speak to you about breaking out of fear from people's opinions. I want to be reading from Acts chapter 14. This is an amazing passage because it demonstrates why we really shouldn't be so concerned about what people think about us because people's opinions can change just like that. This is an amazing story. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. I'm reading from the New International Version. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. But When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Yet he was not left himself without testimony, He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now watch this. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and turned the crowd and won them over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Wow. Just that quick, they go from sacrificing bulls and wreaths to them to stoning them and leaving Paul for dead. I want to share some things with you, and then we're going to pray together. Number one, people's opinions only have the power we give them. People's opinions only have the power we give them. 
we give them. My dad worked at a Ford dealership for many, many years. Then he opened his own automotive repair business. While he was working at this Ford dealership in South Carolina, a salesman came to work one morning. And my dad was always a trickster and a prankster, so he got together with some people that worked there, and he said, hey, everybody, let's, let's keep telling Joe that he just doesn't look like he feels good and see what he does. So my dad walked up to him and said, man, you feeling all right? Joe said, I feel great. He said, you don't look good. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you look kind of off color, and you got some dark circles under your eyes. You sure you're not sick? And I said, I'm not sick. So a few minutes later, somebody else, you know, walked up and said, hey, man, are you okay? And this went on. By noon, the guy called in sick and went home. And the only thing that happened to him was people told him he was sick. He started believing it. We, we are influenced by people's opinions. But they only have the power we give them. Now look, here's the, here's the, the dynamic of this. Here's the engineering aspect of this that runs deeper than just surface issues like that. It is not the overt influencers that matter the most in our lives. It's the, unspoke, it's the subtle things. It's the unspoken dynamic. It's, it's that, that soft rejection that we feel. It's, it's a hurt that we can't seem to get over. A trust was broken at some point during our lives. We, we develop over time. And I'm going to tell you something. The passing of time can be your friend or it can be your worst enemy. It all depends on us and how we respond to what's happened to it, to our lives. I want to share this with you. I really feel the, the presence of the Lord in this moment to say this to you. Folks, we can, we, the Bible says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. There are a lot of people that I see, and I, I, don't, I don't judge, but some, some things the Lord reveals to you, and you just know. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to act on it, Everything the Lord shows us doesn't necessitate that we have to say something about it. But I see a lot of people, and I just know in my spirit that there's some old broken trust or some old wound, and over time, it has dimmed the glow of joy in their life. It has dimmed their passion for God, their fervency to work in the kingdom. Listen, the church is not full of perfect people. The church is here to fix people that are jacked up. If you expect to go to church and find a bunch of holy, perfect, flawless people, just don't bother because you're not ever going to find that. You're going to find a bunch of mixed up, weirded out, jacked up people, and they're at different levels of maturity. Not everybody in church is all weird and jacked up, certainly not, but certainly not everybody's mature and, and flawless either. We all find ourselves at some juncture along that journey. The thing is, the, mo the, the important thing is that we cannot allow what other people do or have done to us to engineer our lives for us. We have to live a life of obedience to God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you can make hot dogs appear, if you can wave your hand and birds fall out of the sky, if you can walk to the, to the funeral parlor today and anybody who's in there wave your hand over them and they get up out of the casket and walk... That's great. You're still not going to be any more spiritual ever in your life than when you walk in obedience to the Word of God. Now, I want to tell you, that's not real popular preaching in our culture. 
And that's exactly why our culture today looks like it does. People have replaced obedience to God with any and everything else. But let's don't talk so much about obedience. That's works-based faith. No, it's not. It's called being Christian. People's opinions only have the power we give them. Secondly, opinions are most often based on partial information, gossip, misunderstanding, or judgmentalism. Now, this is the truth. It's what Kelly was saying in her video. I realized that people came to their opinions through flawed means, and many times I judged them as forming all these negative opinions about me when they didn't. We've got to navigate our way through life understanding this. This is a very mature grasp of how other people form their opinions about us to understand that most often they're based on partial information, on gossip, on, on misunderstanding, and on judgmentalism. I've had people judge me over the years. That's no fun. I know all of you have too. But people's opinions can be based on partial information. And I've noticed this is just a terrible problem in most social circles. Why do people tend to believe the first thing they hear? I've always wondered that. How many of you ever played the little game gossip, a little parlor game? You ever played the game, everybody sits in a circle, and the person over here starts a little statement. By the time it gets around 30 people, it's, it looks and sounds nothing like what it started. And I know some people might mix it up on purpose, but if you try to do it right, it's still not going to come out right. Opinions are most often based on partial information, gossip, misunderstanding, or judgmentalism. Listen. A gossip can't fulfill their mission without an ear that listens. You want me to tell you how to stop a gossip? I can tell you right now how to stop a gossip in church. Somebody out in the Narthex lobby, fan, uh, whatever it's called, anteroom, comes up to you and says, Well, did you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so? What I think is so-and-so and so-and-so. Walk up to them like this and go, Repent! They'll stop. They will never again gossip at you, I promise. People's opinions of us are based on misunderstanding and wrong information. I used to have a friend named Mike, and, and Mike had a crush on this girl named Barbara. I've told some of you this before. And Barbara was kind of cute. Now, I, I wasn't in, involved with Barbara, but Mike had a crush on her. He was always trying to get her attention and always trying to, you know, flirt. This was, this was years and years ago. We were teenagers. And I can, I can bark like a dog, and I can make, I, I'm good at animal noises, so we, we schemed, and I said, hey, man, I actually schemed. He was just a, anyway, <laughs> I said, hey, man, let's get Barbara today. We're at church. He said, okay. I said, you sneak up behind her and grab her on the leg on the count of three, and I'll bark like a dog, and we'll scare her. He said, oh, that's going to be great, man. So, I mean, I normally would go, <laughs> you know, and she'd jump, but Mike, Mike snuck up behind her. He's looking at me. He's looking at me. He gets right behind her. And I went, one, two, three. And he grabbed her leg. And I went, <laughs> just trying to walk off. Left him standing there holding this girl's leg. And she turns around, takes her purse. Whap, 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 you know. Partial information. Misunderstanding. She branded him some kind of perv, and it was all my fault, I confess. I've repented for that since then, but why would we allow 
people's opinions to steer us around, to engineer our lives, to, to inform us of how we should feel about ourselves when many times others' opinions of us are based on partial information, gossip, misunderstanding, and a judgmental spirit. I'll tell you, the first statement's always going to be true. People's opinions in your life are going to only have the power you give them. Number three, some opinions are driven by emotions like jealousy, envy, hatred, revenge, and pride. Some people are not going to like you because you're tall and they're not. Some people may not like us because we can sing and they can't. Some people might not like us because we're happily married or they're not. Some people might not like us because of the color of our skin. Some people might not like us because we live in America. There are a whole bunch of people in this world that would cut your throat today just because you live in America. That's all I need to know. You're an American. It's just the truth. So we have to decide how am I going to navigate through life with people who could decide they like me or don't like me for any of these flippant emotional reasons. Let me tell you that even Jesus' ministry was stalled out and stymied because of this. Jesus' hometown was Nazareth. If you look in the book of Matthew, toward the end of the book, it says, Jesus, I'm not talking about a, an evangelist with a healing ministry. I'm not talking about somebody who's got a church of 30,000 people. I'm not talking about some traveling person who's got a, a ministry of miracles. I'm talking about Jesus, the second person, co-eternal, pre-existent, powerhouse son of the living God, second part of the triune Godhead. He, the Bible says, could not do many miracles in Nazareth because of the unbelief of the people. The people said, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't he have a carpenter shop right down the street? Where in the world did this Jesus dude get all this? And the Bible says they were offended at him. So this jealousy, envy, hatred, revenge, pride, all these things coalesce around us if we allow them. And they can limit, hinder, or actually snuff out our effectiveness to do what God has called us to do. Can you imagine the power of this negativity and unbelief that even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could not do many miracles in his own hometown because the people were just offended at who he thought he was? Let me tell you something. When you get ready to try to do something significant for God, there are always going to be some Nazareth people around. Who want to think of you, well, who do you think you are? I've been knowing you. Don't you love this one? I've been knowing you all your life. You ain't all that. I remember when you, bum, 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 bum. I remember when you, yada, 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 yada. And they'll bring your failures and your past up to you. The good news is the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. You don't have to let these people bring up the past and let it dominate your life. You are free. You are born afresh. You're born anew. You don't have to live under the mantle of who you used to be. You can live as a new creation in Christ. You don't have to let their opinion of you determine who you think you are. You can know who you are because of five words. What does the Bible say. So stop letting people's emotions and their opinions based on them steer you around. Today's the day for you to break free. I've told many of you this story, and some of you are, are new, and I haven't told you this story yet, but 
I was able to get over people when I was seven years old. I'll never forget it. I, I played the piano. I played piano for many years. I still play a little bit. Um, we had a piano recital in my hometown. I was a little kid. Went out there on the stage, and I, I was unprepared for how many people were going to be looking at me. And I had memorized this little song called Country Gardens. It goes, dum 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 I still remember it. I walked out on the stage, and I looked to the right, and there were all those people, about 500 people out there. I'd never seen a crowd that big except on television. I was terrified. My little knobby knees just started shaking. I sat down on that piano stool, and my mind went completely blank. I couldn't think of anything. I put my fingers up, and they were trembling, and I willed them to play the notes that I'd rehearsed for hours, and they refused to do anything but sit there and shake at me. And I finally realized, sitting there on the piano stool in front of all those people, of course, you could have heard a pin drop. My parents were out there, and my two sisters, they were like, he's just sitting there, what's he doing? My piano teacher's out there, and she's biting her nails. What's he doing? He's just sitting there. And I'm sitting there, and I'm processing. You could have seen in the, in the realm of physics, steam was coming out of my ears. I was processing. And it occurred to me, sitting on that piano stool, nothing in life is worth feeling like this. And I made a little decision in my little seven-year-old head. I will never experience this feeling again as long as I live. I took a deep breath. And I just breathed it out. I turned to look to the people. I don't know why I did this, but it helped. I just went. Of course, everybody's going. Has he put a curse on us? What is it? And I said a little prayer. I said, Father, help me to do this. And I played. And I played my little song. And I got up, flipped my coattails out, and did a bow. Boy, you talk about a little ovation, man. And I promise you, as God is my judge, from that moment until today, I have never again been nervous in front of a crowd of people. Not once. Not on my wedding day, never have I been nervous in front of a crowd of people. I say that and some people don't believe it. I don't care. I get to live it. I made a quality decision on that day and that moment on that piano stool that this was never going to dominate me again. And it hasn't. Next. Never get too excited or too disappointed in somebody's opinion of you. Give it enough time and it will change. Now, that's some good advice right there. Don't get too excited. Don't get too disappointed in somebody's opinion of you. Give it enough time, and it will change. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. It, I was like 12 years old before I figured out it wasn't a billy goat. Anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, a billy goat, and Daniel <laughs> went to the kingdom of the Babylonians. They were captured, taken into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They so impressed the king that they made great advancements in the kingdom, and he put them in charge of stuff and actually advanced faster than some of their Babylonian counterparts. Well, of course, this inspired what was in the previous screen, and that was jealousy, anger, pride, resentment, all that. So the rulers decided 
These guys are going to be in charge over us one day if we don't find something to stall their rise to power through the administration of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they tried to find fault with Shadrach, Meshach, Billy Goat, and Daniel, and they couldn't. And they got together and said, we're never going to find any flaw in these people unless it's, unless it's with their God. So they went to King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to build an image of gold on the plains of Shinar. Big, tall, wide image of gold. And when the music plays, everybody in the kingdom is going to have to bow down and worship the image of gold. And if anybody does not bow down and worship the image of gold that you set up, then that person is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar signed the law. And in those days, once you signed a law, you couldn't undo the law. He signed the law. Well, the next day, all the satraps and prefects, they had their little plot. The next day, the, the sound of the flute and the lyre, the zither and the harp all began to play. And everybody in the kingdom bowed down to worship the image of gold except three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. And so, people arrested him, brought him to King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, at first, he was sad because these young men that he had admired and he had advanced through his kingdom refused to worship. He was sad that he was going to have to punish them. And he said, now, come on, guys. I'm paraphrasing here. Come on, guys. You know the deal. The law that I've signed can't be changed. Don't make me do this. The, the music's going to play. I'm going to give you one more chance. Music's going to play. Now bow down and worship and all will be well with you. If not, I'm going to have to throw you in this fiery furnace. And they said four things to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now hit the pause button and say this to you. Anytime you're challenged in your faith, in my person, this is my personal opinion. This story is the greatest, number one, bar none, example of faith in the whole Bible. It is, to me. Because the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said four things to King Nebuchadnezzar. Number one, they said, we are not going to bow down to the image of gold you've set up. So they declared their position. Number two, they said, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and we believe he will. Number three, even if he decides not to. Number four, we are still not going to bow down to the image you made. So they stood up and defied Nebuchadnezzar. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar became furious with them and his attitude toward them changed. He had the furnace heated seven times hotter. The soldiers who grabbed them up and bound them with ropes and threw them in the door of the furnace were overwhelmed by the heat and those soldiers died just from the heat outside the furnace. Imagine how hot it was in there. You know the story. The king looked in and said, didn't we throw three men in the fire? And they said, yes, king. He said, well, I see four in the fire, and the fourth man looks like the son of God. Ooh-wee. And all the fire did was burn off their bondage. And when they came out, not a hair was singed, and the smell of smoke was not even on their clothes. That is the power of God. People's attitude toward you can change. People who love you today, two years from now, will they still love you? Only time will tell. Do an informal survey. How many of you can look back across the years of your life and remember when you had somebody in your life, you thought they're going to be my BFF forever. They're going to be my bestie 
forever. And now today, you don't even know where they live. You never talk. You never have any interaction. Anybody know anybody like that in your life? Raise your hand. Virtually every person in the church. It's always going to be that way. People's opinions change. They come and they go. Don't get too excited. People's opinions change. Next, be careful how you allow other people's opinion, opinions to influence your own opinion about yourself. Remember that salesman? He allowed other people's opinions to convince him he was sick. If you listen to people tell you you're stupid long enough, you've got to be careful or you'll start believing you're stupid. Maybe you were raised in a home with an abusive parent who told you you were ugly, you were never going to amount to anything, or they ignored you, made you feel unimportant. Maybe you were raised in an environment where you weren't accepted in a social group you desperately wanted to be accepted in. If you allow those rejections and you allow the opinions of people to mold and shape yours, then you're living your life under the opinions of other people. I got a lesson in this many years ago. I was a waiter at a restaurant. It used to be over by Cumberland Mall in Atlanta called Victoria Station. It had train boxcars all put together, kind of an upscale restaurant specialized in prime rib and steaks and stuff like that. And I was a waiter at this nice restaurant. Well, I always kept my little apron clean. I had a little white napkin I kept on my forearm. You know, I I wore a tie. I looked sharp, tried to look my best. You made sure I was groomed nicely, didn't put any heavy cologne on or anything. And I was waiting on these two girls at a table. <clears throat> I thought everything was fine. I mean, I thought we were having a good time, and I was taking care of their needs, and I thought they were happy. Well, they left and left me a note written on a paper napkin that you put under drinks. And the note said, Dear waiter, your shrimp were as tasteless as you were. And I was like, how was I tasteless? I went to the men's room, checked my teeth, checked my nose. Everything was fine. You know? <laughs> What's wrong with me? So I was kind of like, you know, a little bit vexed. Bothered me. I didn't know what I'd done wrong. I didn't, I didn't tell any jokes, didn't do anything, you know, that I knew of. So it kind of mully-grubbed me for a couple of hours. I kid you not, on the same night... In the same little area, a few hours later, two girls sitting at a table. I waited on them, gave them the same service, same smile, same me. They left me a note on a napkin. Dear Mr. Waiter, you are amazing. Will you marry us both? <laughs> and, and my hamster had a seizure, you know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to process this and figure it out. And this came to me. I cannot allow myself to be engineered around inside my own head by what people tell me about myself. You got two people that love you and two people that hate you. In the same night, you're the same person. What is that? That's called humanity. Now, let me set you free today. You are not who people tell you you are. You are who God says you are. Next, remember, we don't have to have an opinion about everything. Can I just tell you there's an amazing freedom in this? There are some people that feel like it's their duty in life to form an opinion about every single thing in the world. Now, my wife, Pastor Donna, is just an amazing woman of God. 
She's amazing. I've, we've been married this, this month 37 years. Yes, we got married when we were two. 37 years. But she likes some stuff that I don't like. She likes mint chocolate chip ice cream. I think that's the most nasty, vile, godless, demonized, disgusting stuff in the whole world. She loves it. But then I like stuff she doesn't like. Don't know what that might be because all my taste is excellent. (laughs) But I'm sure there's stuff that she likes that I like that she doesn't like. I got on a sausage kick back when I used to eat meat when I was having fun and could eat whatever I wanted back in the, back in the good old days <laughs> before I found out I was slowly killing myself. I, uh, I found this sausage I really liked, and that's back in the days. I had a little bit of extra money, so I bought 80 pounds of sausage. I, I really liked it a lot. <laughs> My daughter Kristen still hates sausage to this day. I loved it, and Donna would like it, but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I just can't. It doesn't matter whether I like mint chocolate chip ice cream or not. She does, and that's what matters. My opinion about mint chocolate chip ice cream, or the fact, and this is a fact, that it's the only ice cream Ben and Jerry's makes that pigs will not eat. (laughs) Even though that's true, if she likes it, More power to her. Hey, you know what I've done? I have actually eaten sardines before. You know what else I've eaten? I've eaten armadillo. I've eaten rattlesnake. I've eaten squirrels. Jeremy and I were hunting in New Mexico, elk hunting with a bow. He was five years old. I'll never forget this. Walked by a squirrel. I took my bow. I shot it off the limb. We dressed it out. We made a little grill, and we grilled that squirrel. And, of course, Jeremy had never tasted a squirrel before, and it was kind of the moment of truth for him. And he was looking at it like this. He's looking at me, and he loved his daddy. He wanted to be the man. There's a squirrel on the grill. He's going, (laughs) a little fake smile. You want to eat some squirrel? (laughs) Yes, sir. Boy, uncertainty. I put some salt and pepper on it, and I was praying, God, please let my son eat like, like this squirrel because if he hates it, it's going to skew his desire to hunt with me the rest of our lives. Please let it taste good. Let it taste like cotton candy. Do a miracle. Oh, I know it. I know it. <laughs> so I pulled him off a piece, and I mean, it just fell apart. It was so tender. I said, try that. He was like, he was like wow, Dad, that's good. And he grabbed a leg and tore it off. And I thought, yeah, got a little caveman right here, you know. Awesome. This is a true story, and it'll help you understand why you don't have to have an opinion about everything. This is true. Many years ago, a woman I know named Darlene, you don't probably know her, she walked into a church. Now, Darlene is very fair skinned, and Darlene's cheeks are always rosy. So she walks, she's very prim and proper. She walks into the church. She's a young single woman. She walks into the church, and she sits uh, close to the front, and she's worshiping God. And her little natural, she wore no makeup. She had no makeup on, no blush, and her little cheeks were just rosy. Well, some of the elderly women in the church got to looking at her. Margaret, I think that woman's wearing makeup. I think you're right, Mildred. I think that's blush. You realize that's of the devil. 
Back in the old day, you wore makeup, you were going straight to hell, you were not pass and go, you were not getting $200. So they waited, and at the altar service, they, they pounced. They got her down there, and they said, Honey, we're going to set you free from the bondage of this world and this. And they grabbed her by the head and started scrubbing on her face to get that makeup off. And all they did was make her cheeks redder and redder and redder. They said, look, it's getting worse. It's a devil, I'm telling you. you know, just... I, have a, I have a thought about this. Why not leave the little girl and her blush alone? Some powder on your face ain't going to send you to hell. It's the sin in our hearts. Not the makeup on our face. People get weird about folks that tattoo and pierce themselves. That's old Levitical law. has no place in the New Testament. If you want to paint yourself or tattoo yourself or pierce yourself, have at it if that's what you want to do. Because if you go back to Leviticus 19 and you want to, you want to preach against tattoos and against piercings, you've got to preach all the other stuff too, which means all of us have to let the hair at the side of our head grow long and put it in ringlets and wear funny little hats and don't wear clothes made out of two kinds of material and don't rotate our crops once every seven years and I could go on and on and on and on. All that was done away with with the new law. Now, you might not like tattoos and you might not like piercings. You've got a gauge in your nose the size of a quarter and 16 pins through your head and knots, implants, make you look like a horned devil. Don't be surprised that you can't get a job. No, it's not the president's fault. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's a sin. Pastor Donna likes mint chocolate chip ice cream. I don't. That doesn't mean she's got a devil. It means we have different tastes. Leave people. Why can't we just leave one another alone and live in peace? There's an idea. Next, we cannot judge what we do not know. You cannot judge what you do not know. Now, everybody goes around saying, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me. I want to tell you the Bible does tell us we're required to make some judgments. The Bible says you will know us by our fruits. But fruit is something you can see. It's something evident. If you break in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning and you've got a bloody knife in one hand and a bloody axe in the other and you're telling me you're going to kill me, I can judge that pretty quickly. I know you're not there to sell me Girl Scout cookies, and you're not asking for directions. And I'm going to introduce you to Jesus right quick, personally. We cannot judge what we do not know. Don't judge people's heart motive. Don't judge people's walk with God. Don't Judge things that you think might be true. In the old church that we lived in and, and worked in on Bright Star Road, didn't live there but felt like we did, one Sunday morning Pastor Donna wore this beautiful little white dress and it, you know, it came down right to her knees and it was flared out. And she wore some little pink heels with little pink flowers on them. Just a white dress and little pink heels. That's it. Didn't show any more skin than any other dress with heels. This guy came close. He came close to me laying hands on him. He really did. He came up to me after the service and he said, Well, brother, I'll tell you, it's just pretty clear to me that your wife just wants to share herself with every man in the church. I guess there was something in that look. He backed away. It's a good thing because I wasn't going to anoint him with oil. <laughs> 
I said, sir, I can, I started walking toward him. I said, I can assure you she is not, and she would not. Of course, he scurried out of there. And um, he's judging something he has, he's judging her heart motive. Now, because she wore a, a beautiful dress, and because Pastor Donna had the unmitigated audacity to be beautiful, per, pretty much all it was. He's got a sign of motive. She's basically a harlot. Your wife is basically a harlot. Okay, we need to get off this subject, so... <clears throat> We can't judge what we don't know. So we don't judge people's heart motive. We don't judge their walk with God. Well, the only reason they did that is, how do you know why they did something? You can't know why somebody does something unless they tell you why, or unless it becomes evident in some way. We can't judge what we don't know. Don't let people judge you for what they don't know, and then you accept that. Now, look, let's be honest. None of us likes to get whacked by somebody. None of us likes to have somebody tell us, well, you're just the most cocky, arrogant person I've ever known in my life. And, and it's like, what makes you come to that conclusion, you know? Why would you ever say that to anybody? And yet there are Christians who feel like it's their job in the world to go around judging and, and correcting and fixing. Wow. Before you start fixing, make sure you know what's broke. You know, David's brother, when David just... Just moments before David killed Goliath, his brother said, I know how wicked your heart is. You're just puffed up with pride and arrogance. You came down here to watch the battle, you conceited little dweeb. That's a paraphrase, but basically. Judge David's heart. David said, I cannot even speak. All I want to do is go out here and kill this giant. Because... Because his brother was afraid to do it, he couldn't fathom the possibility that his younger sibling might not be terrified and might actually walk in the power of God. Let me tell you something. Don't expect everybody you know to stand up and applaud you when you get ready to kill giants and do something significant for God. Don't expect the whole world to go, wow, we've been waiting for you all our lives. You're wonderful. Don't expect that. You might still slay the giant and people must, will still come and judge things about you that have no idea of knowing. It doesn't matter. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it intimidate you. Don't let it engineer you because your identity is not sealed with the opinions of people. Our identities are sealed with who Jesus Christ says we are. Go ahead. If you're going to clap, do it. <laughs> Lastly, God is our judge. His opinion is really the only one that matters. Paul wrote this in his words this way. In the book of Galatians, he said, am I, now, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, listen, I would not be a servant of Christ. We've got some choices to make. And our choices are we can decide we're going to please God and do it with all our heart and just deal with it and accept the reality that some folks out there are going to misunderstand they're going to say things about us that aren't true. They're going to start rumors about you that aren't so. They're going to slander. They're going to gossip. They're going to do what they do. The beautiful thing is not only do you have to not let that influence you. Now, here's the tough part. In spite of all that they are doing, we are required to forgive them and love them anyway. That's easy to say, a little harder to do, but you can do it. Because in the same way Jesus forgave you of your sins, he expects us to forgive others of theirs. What can we take away from this message? Here's some takeaways. Dave, will you come play? 
Takeaway is this. People's opinions of you are usually inaccurate. Stop giving them credibility. People's opinions of you are usually inaccurate, so stop giving them credibility. Next, there's a balance between not allowing people's opinions to unduly influence you and understanding that you are accountable for your influence on others. Don't mistake this message as our right to just go through life willy-nilly and say, well, I didn't care what people thought of me in years and just live any way you want to. There's a balance to this. And the balance is that we are accountable to God for our influence on other people. Now, they're ultimately going to answer for what they choose to do, but we're accountable for our influence on them, especially younger people who are looking to you. Every person in here, whether you realize it or not, there are people that are looking at you right now, today, and they're taking their cues from you. They're learning who they are and how to process life from how you process life. So choose what you do wisely. You and God know the truth about you. Since he will determine your eternity based on that truth, he's the only one you need to please. God is the only one you need to please. Let's all stand.